Ladies and gentlemen, citizens of the universe, NFL draftniks, fantasy footballers, geeks, geezers, skeezers, weirdos, we come here to unite. This is Roster Watch. This is Quentin Copos, and this is Roster Watch. Hey, this is Kirk Cousins, live at the Senior Bowl with Roster Watch. This is Melvin Ingram, and we're at the Senior Bowl listening to Roster Watch. This is Jack Del Rio, and this is Roster Watch on ESPN Radio, Austin. Hey, this is Chris Polky, listening to Roster Watch on ESPN Radio, Austin. Hey, this is Brandon Whedon, and you're watching Roster Watch. I am here with the very talented Mr. Isaiah P., uh, Big East Offensive Player of the Year. I'm here with Vic Carucci, Senior Editor, Cleveland Browns. I am here with Boise State running back Doug Martin. This is Rick Spielman, General Manager of the Minnesota Vikings, and you're listening to Roster Watch. Ladies and gentlemen, this is Roster Watch. My name is Alex Dunlap. As always, I'm joined by Byron Lambert. Today, joined, as we normally are during draft season, by our boy, Mike Loiko, NEPatriotsDraft.com. We got a lot to talk about today. Today, I went to College Station, Texas, watched Ryan Tannehill throw, talked to some people, and then skedaddled out of there and back to Austin just as quick as I possibly could. Uh, we had the Alabama Pro Day. Uh, lots of stuff to go over, lots of things to run down. This is Roster Watchman and hand it off to Byron, steering this ship as always. Ladies and gentlemen, this is a big Pro Day podcast. We are full steam ahead. We're about to blast through this. As a Spoken as a true fisherman myself, what I understand is there was quite a bit of artificial lures being thrown in those waters today. So let, let's dive right in. I want to start with Alex since he attended personally and hear a, a little bit of insight on uh, the Tannehill Pro Day at College Station Day. How did he look? Uh, you know, what, what was your opinion? You just got back from seeing Griffin last week at Baylor. So what do you think? Well, I'll just say, you know, it, it, it wasn't any Robert Griffin kind of deal. Uh, it, it wasn't the same kind of thing. Uh, there's a large drop-off in this draft class. I think everybody knows after the top two quarterbacks. That's something that we all know. But we also know this is, this is a quarterback-driven league. This is a league where a lot of teams are going to go after a guy who they think can possibly be elite. It's what the finances of the league dictate. It's what the economics of the league dictate. Every starting roster optimally includes one elite quarterback. And, and, and so if you see a guy who you think has that skill, Ryan Tannehill, you know, former wide receiver, only 19 starts at quarterback. I had some questions about his arm strength. We know he was a great, accurate college quarterback, 61% in his, uh, in his 2011 season. But that was on a lot of short passes, dump-offs, screens. We saw him blow five uh, two-point leads in 2011, throwing you know, ill-advised passes into bad spots, floating balls. And that's what I wanted to know. Can he throw the out 18 yards, 22 yards on a wire? I didn't see it today. To be honest, the way I had the camera set up, literally, I had it set up for RG3. And so it, it was whenever I was trying to trail the ball, the ball was going above 
where my where my camera was set to. So it was obvious he was not getting the same mustard on those 18, 22 yard outs that RG3 was. He was there working out with Chris Winkie, uh, had the opportunity to talk with a lot of folks afterwards, talk with talk, talk with Tannehill. Uh, he's got workouts this week uh, with scheduled with the Chiefs, the Browns, and the Eagles, strangely. Um, talk with Jeff Fuller. He's been getting a lot of love from the Arizona Cardinals and the New Orleans Saints as of late. Uh, talked to Jeff Ireland, GM of the Dolphins, after the game. He told me that they took Tannehill out to uh, a dinner last night, had a great chalk talk with him. He was very impressed with the workout. Uh, another guy who was looking on very closely was uh, Vikings offensive coordinator. Uh, I'm, I'm, I'm sorry, former Vikings head coach, current Browns offensive coordinator, Brad Childress. And then another guy who was a bit of a surprise to see there was Pete Carroll. As far as the way I thought he threw the ball, he didn't really answer too many questions for me. A lot of guys really went cuckoo over the performance because there were only two or three incompletions. But I knew he was accurate. What I wanted to see was him putting the real spin on the ball, getting it out there to his wide receivers. I didn't quite see it. I think he's on his way. Though. Well, Alex, so when you and I left Baylor last week, we knew, we left knowing we had just seen something special, a top a top-tier guy. And then I hear... Mike Mayock come out today and say that this workout was a franchise quarterback workout, and he can very well see him going as the third or fourth pick in the draft. But what it sounds like to me is you didn't necessarily have that same feeling leaving today that he was the franchise like when we saw Griffin uh, last week. Was did you did you see Mayock there? Was he there live? And I guess what was your what, what you know? Yeah, no, what was I, your overall saw, impression? Uh, He's saw, not in that league. I saw I saw Mayon talk to him after the workout. I didn't get the vibe that he was going to say that it was that great good that great a deal. I thought it was very good. It was very efficient. He was very accurate. Uh, you can go to rosterwatch.com and see all fifty whatever fifty five throws that he made. You know, just so you can go look for yourself, scout him for yourself, watch his footwork, watch his delivery, and. To me, can he be a franchise quarterback? I think he can. He's got the measurables. He can do it. He's only had 19 starts at quarterback, though. And so when you talk about him going to a team like the Browns, who is just he's not even ready to be an NFL quarterback yet, much less to be a polished West Coast offense quarterback. So is, is there anybody after watching him that any current NFL quarterback or previous NFL quarterback that came to mind when you watched him today? I don't know. Maybe, you know, he's... You know, maybe I don't know. Really, I don't know. It, like the thing, the the thing about him is, is is that his fundamentals aren't really across the board yet. His footwork's not all there. His delivery's not all there. Nothing is consistent yet. You can see the framework that is beginning to come to fruition. But I think it would be unfair to compare him to anybody. You know, right now, if I would, I would compare him to somebody obvious, like maybe last year, like a Christian Pond or something like this. But I don't know. He he can be a different kind of quarterback. It's just that we haven't we haven't seen it yet. Mike, what what's your book on on Tannehill, and how do you think today's workout will will affect the draft? Well, I obviously wasn't there, like uh, like Alex was, but I'm actually watching it online right now as you guys talk. And you know, Tannehill, he's somebody that I think he's definitely moving way up there on draft boards. Probably won't get past pick number eight. That's for sure. He won't get past Miami, in my opinion. We're starting now to hear a lot of talk about Cleveland in the four spot. Like Alex said, Brad Childress was there. You know, the Browns were heavy in on him, I guess, today. 
as well as Trent Richardson. They're working Trent Richardson out of Alabama, too. But, you know, Tannehill, I like Tannehill a lot better than some quarterbacks who went last year. Watching the video on Tannehill right now, one thing that really stands out for me is, you know, how balanced he is moving around. He's able to, you know, move around really well and stay balanced. His shoulders never drop. That back shoulder never drops. He always keeps it uh, level. And, you know, his athletic ability is right up there. You know, it's a notch below RG3 as before quarterback. If he, you know, starts in the NFL next year, he'll be one of the top four or five most athletic quarterbacks. And I think I really think that arm strength really gets overrated a little bit. I mean, everybody evaluates a quarterback based on arm strength. Does he have a Matthew Stafford-type arm or Michael Vick-type arm? No, but, you know, not many quarterbacks in the NFL do. You know, Tom Brady came out of college. His arm wasn't too strong. You know, Peyton Manning doesn't have, you know, a Matthew Stafford-type arm. But Kenny Hill somebody that is accurate, you know, in the short passes. He does start to struggle a little bit, you know, down the field when he has to throw in a more, you know, read coverages and anticipate a little bit more. But he's only started 19 games, you know. Uh, for someone that's only started 19 times, with more experience, time to learn a system, that stuff's going to come. He does have to work on his reads and learn when he can force and when he can't force a ball. But he's definitely got all the tools. The athletic ability is off the chart. His arm's definitely good enough to make it to the NFL. You know, watching some tape on him, warming up for this podcast, he can make the throws outside the numbers with ease. That's really, you know, the biggest concern NFL teams would have. That's how they measure arm strength, making the, you know, 20-yard out throws. And he can do that. And, I mean, you just watch him against the team like Oklahoma State when, you know, he runs a speed option. He blows by everybody on their defense, runs right by Markel Martin. He can't catch him. So the guy's a legit athlete who's still learning to become a quarterback. But he's got all the tools. And I wouldn't necessarily pick him as a top five pick. But, you know, it's starting to hear more and more that he's not going to get out of that top eight. And he needs to definitely sit somewhere for a year or two. He's not ready to start right away. He needs to be given that, you know, Aaron Rodgers treatment. And who knows what would have happened to Aaron Rodgers if he didn't start. If he started his career right away, he might, you know, be a completely different quarterback. So he's definitely got the measurables, still learning how to become, you know, a more polished quarterback, though. And, 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 just, and just let me say, as far as, the, as far as his athletic tool bag, we can all agree that it's off the charts. He's a former wide receiver in the Big 12. He has a real-time understanding of the route tree. I just wanted to see a little more out of, like you said, the the outs past 18 yards. I thought I saw a little bit of him trying to put some touch on it. I wasn't sure if he was putting touch on it or whether it was just maybe a little bit of lack of arm strength. But it does not matter because what matters is what the NFL people thought and everybody that I spoke to was wowed by the performance. So whether we believe it or not, Ryan Tannehill is going to be a top 10 pick in this draft. Well, I I have a couple more questions here speaking about this and Mike, the first one's for you. I think so much of the so much of what we're going to be talking about with Ryan Tannehill is how he projects what his learning curve is going to be. What kind of ceiling does this guy have? And I think that, you know, history history is usually a pretty good indicator of the future. So from watching all his film as you have how much did he improve over those 19 games, that limited sample that he had in college? Well, I mean, he's definitely gone better. I mean, you know, the stats might not show necessarily. He does, you know, he has a couple games with three interceptions. But, I mean, he was throwing, you know, 40, 50, 60 times a game sometimes. So, 
you know, they put the ball in his hands and told him to win the game for him, really. You know, Texas A&M had some injuries this year. Kristen Michael got hurt again. Um, Cyrus Gray went down for some games. Jeff, Jeff Fuller, Fuller was hurt all season. Times. Yeah. What's that? Oh, I just said Fuller was hurt all season. So Yeah. yeah. Uh, Jeff Fuller let him down all year long, really. So a lot of the load was on Ryan Tannehill's shoulders, and he kind of had to, you know, take over and win games for him. I think he got a little undisciplined at times and made some throws. Obviously, you wouldn't advise. He had some big drops by receivers that turned into interceptions. Not all of those interceptions were on him. Uh, definitely not. But, you know, he's somebody that starting 19 games in the Big 12, converting as a wide receiver, not too many people could be able to do that. And, you know, it's, hey, he definitely has a high, high potential, a high ceiling, a much higher ceiling than any other quarterback besides Luck and Griffin. Once you get into that second tier, no quarterback even has close to the potential of a Ryan Tannehill. And I think that's why he is going to go so high because after him, there's a tremendous drop-off. Then you're going to get into the guys like Brandon Whedon, who's 28 years old, the Kirk Cousins, who does nothing really special. So, like, you know, it's said, if, he, if the team thinks that he is a franchise quarterback, you have to take him if you're picking number one, two, ten, a hundred. If you think that guy's your franchise quarterback, you can't pass on him because if he does turn up in being that quarterback and you pass on him, then you're going to regret it for a long time. Well, I, I saw an interesting snippet today that I thought was worth kind of bringing up because it just shows how fluid this situation is from year to year. And, Mike, you again, you might have – some special insight on this because you're a New England guy. But how would would if if in the same draft would Tannehill would would he be rated above Ryan Mallett from last year or would Ryan Mallett have been a higher rated quarterback this year than Tannehill? It's interesting because I believe Mallett was what a third round pick. Yeah. With some character issues or whatnot, but still I'm just curious where where how how would that shake out i mean th- th- if it was that, this year. that's a great that's a really great question because you know going into the draft last year i was really really high on ryan mallet i actually loved the ryan mallet pick a lot of people in new england hated it crying why did new england pick another quarterback but you know he was by far the best player on the board at the time so you know i love mallet's arm he's a son of a coach he can just rip it you know he's another one of those guys i mean his athletic ability doesn't even you know sniff Ryan Tannehill's athletic ability, they're kind of completely different quarterbacks. But, you know, Ryan Mallett kind of got a raw deal. The only reason he slept, let's be realistic here, is because there were some major off-the-field concerns with drinking and drugs. You know, you heard rumors about all the, you know, off-the-field stuff I won't get into. He but acted a fool. Well, it's, it's just yeah. fascinating to hear that kind of description and to see him go in the third round last year and then all of a sudden to hear a guy, Tannehill, who would be arguable – if he's even a better prospect than Mallet last year, is we're talking about him as a third or fourth pick in the draft. And something I mentioned earlier was some of the artificial bait that would be thro- was being thrown out today in College Station. Just quickly, I want to touch on that. There were some unexpected teams there, some unexpected people there showing interest. We don't know what smoke signals, what's real. Kind of Alex, who did you see there? What what can we kind of construe from that? And you know what. What what does this mean? Who's interested? Who's not? Well, you. I mean, it was the first guy you saw when you walked in that was the most obvious was Pete Carroll. He was there watching basically the whole time. He After had, just signing Matt Flynn. Yeah, and and if you think about it, I mean, it's not like it wouldn't 
make some sense if it's a guy who you really like. You know, if one of those guys pops, you're you're great. Uh, you know, he was there. Joe Philbin of the Dolphins was there. Uh, you know, I didn't get a chance to speak with him. I did get a chance to speak with Dolphins GM Jeff Ireland, as we spoke about earlier. Uh, Cleveland Browns had Brad Childress there, along with their quarterbacks coach Mark Whipple. Um, and you know they they were all they were all on hand to see it. Uh, like I said, Tannehill. What I thought was most interesting is that the Eagles have scheduled the workout this week in College Station, which kind of makes you raise a little bit of an eyebrow about what sort of longevity they're expecting out of a Mike Vick, and if this is a guy who in this year's draft that they think is going to be a once every two three year guy, whatever duration you're going to be left with Vick. The best that's going to come along to possibly back him up and take it, take his spot. The Chiefs was another little bit of a surprise. He was generally considered outside the range he would fall into. Another team that would have to trade up to acquire his services. But that he'd set up meetings with those two teams, or not meetings, actual private workouts with those two teams was very interesting to me. As far as the Browns, we knew that they were interested. You know, as far as Miami, we've got to figure that they're interested. His former offensive coordinator, Mike Sherman, was not there at A&M today, probably for obvious reasons. I wouldn't want to go hang around at A&M if I were Mike Sherman. But it's it, it, it goes to, like I said, it goes to show, this is the economics of the league, this is the finances of the league. The quarterback's the highest paid position, the left tackle's the second highest paid, that's the guy that watches your quarterback. The rushing defensive end who kills the opposing quarterback's the third highest paid. You're going to pay money for these guys, you're going to have to pick them real high. All right, fellas, this ship is pulling up anchor and heading straight down the Gulf Coast. Uh, the Gulf Coast line to Alabama. Now we want to talk about that pro day. That was huge. Uh, we got guys like Inc. Mark Ingram, Courtney Upshaw working out. Uh, what what did we see today from these guys? Did, what, what did they do for themselves? What did they have to prove? Did Mark Ingram show up? I guess he I came mean, and worked out with them. I'm sorry, Trent Richardson. Oh well, well, hey, Trent, Trent Richardson. And they Mark remind Ingram me of each other. Like. I'm yeah. so sorry. There are a lot of like I don't know. I've been at I've been at the uh, I've been at the AM Pro Day. I heard that Upshaw ran a four eight one. What is what does that do, Mike, to his draft stock? Yeah, I don't think it does anything to his draft stock. You know, people that have watched him play all year, they know how fast he is. He's not a four five guy, four six guy. That's not his game. He's not a speed edge rusher. He's not a guy like. Bruce Irvin or one of those guys coming off the edge. He's a, you know, a powerful set the edge, uh, beats you with intensity and physicality type outside linebacker, defensive end. He's not gonna, you know, that time really didn't surprise me at all. You know, some of the change of direction stuff kind of surprised me more. He just doesn't really look fluid to me in a lot of these pass rush and agility, not pass rush, agility drills and you know lateral quickness drills. He's got some question marks, definitely. I still think that outside linebacker, defensive end position, such a premium this year. And he's so versatile that he'll go somewhere in the top 20. I think he can play defensive end, outside linebacker, even inside linebacker in 3-4. He's, t- you know, he's somebody that I've had really right near number 20 on my board all year. I've moved him up a little bit throughout the process. But I don't think he's one of these top ten picks by any means that some people have him going in the top ten. I think he's going to be a nice player in a three. I think he fits a three-four defense much better. I like him as an outside linebacker, standing up, uh, playing downhill, setting the edge in the uh, run game, and just being that physical presence on the strong side for a team. Yeah, but it, it definitely wasn't a great workout for him, but it's kind of what I expected seeing him, you know, all year and 
through the postseason process. Okay, like I have a couple thoughts. We 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 actually hung out with Mike at the Senior Bowl. We didn't at the Senior Bowl. You don't really get to see as many of these ninety degree get back drills uh, that that show that sort of lateral abil- lateral ability as you, as you do at the combine. At the combine, I did notice as well. He yeah, he was not as fluid. His hips were a little bit stiff in those in those ninety degree drills in the get back drills. But still, that being said, you guys know that I love Upshaw. And I just, I hear all this talk. Mike Mayock wants to say, well, his lower body's so thick. He needs to play with his hand in the dirt in a 4-3. And some people, Byron, feels like he might be suited to play inside linebacker. To me, that is crazy. He is a 3-4 outside linebacker. That's what he does. You're not going to put him inside linebacker because he lacks lateral quickness. I mean, as far as his initial burst of lateral quickness, it's very strong. It's very powerful. He's a menace in the backfield. It's whenever you get to the get-back drills, the 90-degree cuts, the five-yard, six-yard bursts in space, wherever he loses his edge. And I think as as a guy who sets the edge, a guy in a 3-4, like Mike said, lined up on the strong side to be the anchor. Uh, to, to you know, to be the anchor outside linebacker, he's going to be a guy that's going to stuff it. He's going to cause havoc. I think he's a great player. He's he's not going to drop past 15 on my board, no matter what kind of 40 time he runs. I've seen it on the field. I've seen it on film. I I just but I think is it's awesome. he going to be a sack artist? And I, that's the only thing I can justify spending that high of a pick on. Well, I think he's that, not going to. I think that he's going to be a. I think he's going to be an absolute staple in your in your run defense with possible development to be a great sack artist. We've seen it in college. If you well, want to spend a first-round pick on a guy with six sacks I'm not talking first-round. I'm talking top 15. Well, that's what I mean. Um, it's, it's, it seems a little bit hard for me to justify, but, you know, I guess we'll see how it shakes out. Mike, what were you going to say, man? Well, the question with him, too, is going to be how many, how many of those sacks were due to, you know, the great pass defense and the great front seven that he played with in Alabama. You know, I don't think those sack numbers are going to necessarily translate to the NFL. I think he'll probably, you know, average something like six, seven sacks a year. I don't think he's a double-digit sack guy. And, in fact, I think he can play inside linebacker, not just because of his lateral quickness. The guy's 275 pounds, you know, probably is going to play right around 270, 275. And he can take on blockers, play downhill, and make plays. I don't think that's a negative at all, saying that he might move inside. In fact, I think that it could have a similar situation where, Dante Hightower ends up playing outside, and Hightower moves on the inside. Oh, you just, guys are you know, those, me. Those, posi- those positions are kind of interchangeable with those two, and I think it just speaks to their versatility. You know, Upshaw, he's not going to be a three-down player in the NFL, no matter you know what. He just does not going to have enough speed and agility, and you know his hips are stiff. No, you know, I love Upshaw. He's one of my favorite players in this draft, and I, re- you know, I really want him to be, you know. Actually, I really hope he, if he slipped your team with the Patriots, I would be you know out of this world. I love him. I think he's a perfect fit for the Patriots. I know for a fact that they love him. I don't think he makes it to them, but he's not going to be an every down outside linebacker, one of these guys that can play you know coverage. But that's not a negative because he's going to set the edge. He can make a ton of plays, takes on blocks. He's strong as can be. He's a great kid, well spoken, you know, soft spoken team player. You know, he'll die for his team. And I think, you know, it's not a negative saying that he might move up. He can play on the inside. Because maybe he plays outside. For a team like the Patriots that plays so many schemes and all these other teams are playing 3-4, four, 4-3 four, interchangeable, 
you know, you need that versatility, and I just think that's a positive for him. Well, between the, between this Upshaw talk and the Tannehill talk, I basically feel like I've been taking crazy pills the whole time I've been watching film. But where, <laughs> where else where else are we going to take this shit? Well, we gotta speaking talk- of crazy pills, the, guys, the guy I'm crazy about, I'm, I, again, I, I'm... I apologize for my mistake earlier. Is Trent Richardson? True Richardson. Yeah, he is a beast that I who, just who cannot the Browns, believe the Browns are even. The Browns sent their head coach and their GM to see Trent Richardson, which they should be. They sent their and the running back coach was the one working him out. In Tampa, Tampa Bay and the Browns running back coaches were the ones working him out, picking four and five. If the Browns draft anybody other than Trent Richardson. Somebody will literally need to harpoon the walrus. <laughs> I think so too. I think so too. That's what you got to do. Don't trade down. Take Trent, our good buddy uh, Eric Galco, um, uh, Optimum Scouting. Yeah, he was he was saying that uh, he was saying to us recently that I mean Trent Richardson won't last past five to the Bucks, and then if he gets past there, he won't last past seven to the Jaguars, which I thought was a little bit. I don't odd. think he'll get. If he makes it to six, I don't think he gets past the Rams. I think you the know Rams what? Yeah, well, and uh, I totally forget, and I totally neglected to mention that. But yeah, or it, somebody it, it, like Cincinnati with the multiple picks. Thinks the kid, about yeah, they could trade. Cincinnati was all over him today too at the pro day. Ben yeah. Jarvis Green, Ellis, give up Trent Richardson. It'd be a pretty nice give up a seventeen and a twenty-one to move up. I could see that happening, but. What it's got to be for the Browns is it's got to be Trent Richardson. Uh, I, I think a, the minute they he's the only guy that the minute they call his name changes the franchise. He immediately okay. give, he immediately gives him an identity. And whether we want to agree or disagree on running styles, I think he instantly adds at minimum a Ray Rice type de- dynamic to that team. And those guys are in that division. They know what it meant when the Ravens added the exploits of a Ray Rice. Yeah, and, and whenever Byron first started kind of throwing out this Ray Rice comparison, I told him that he was told him he was bonkers. But I did I did look back. He's a lot he's a lot better in the screen game. He's a lot better pass catcher than I than I really remembered yeah. him being. He, once you look back at he the get, film, he gets small. He gets, he springs in and out of space. Yeah, he's great in his screen game. And he's a little powerhouse. Everybody used to talk about Ray Rice being a powerhouse with his 400-pound bench press and his 500-pound squat. Well, guess what? Trent Richardson is a 475 max and a 600-pound hey, squat. I, and I, I, and I've, I've said from the very beginning that he's the best that we've seen since Adrian Peterson. I'm fairly sure that we can all agree on that. And, and the argument of Adrian Peterson, well, he wouldn't take it till 7. That's because five other teams minus the team that took Calvin Johnson, the Lions, were idiots. Yeah, well, and yeah, <laughs> that's a good point. That's a good point. But I don't know, Mike, uh, you know, as far as that goes, Trent Richardson, your thoughts, best since AP? Yeah, he looked, he looked great today in his pro day, you know. What did he, what did he run in his 40? Yeah, they're all over the place, the reports today. Because did I've you hand time it, Mike? I know you like to do that. <laughs> did you hand time it? What's that? Did you did you hand time Richardson's forty? No, he ran a four four eight between four four eight and four five one. I actually didn't see him run the forty, but I saw him go through his position drills and catch the ball. The thing with him is his hands are so underrated. He's probably got the best hands of any running back in this draft. Yeah. He just wasn't utilized, you know, as much as some of the other pass catchers in this draft. When you look you back, know, you he, see. He, it. He, hold on one second. He, the Browns running back coach was actually holding the bags for him on one of the blocking drills. And he literally pancaked the Browns running back coach, and he did a backflip. That's and he's just, and he's just so powerful and strong. 
in the short, you know, in small areas. He's just going to be an every down back. He's just a stud any way you slice it. Well, what's the story? Because you said about 4 or 5 on the 40. I saw reports he, that he's still maybe not 100%. Because he had the knee surgery. Like, he had a, not a yeah. surgery, but some kind of, well, did he get some cartilage cleaned up? or what, like? What yeah, he had, a mini- he had a meniscus injury. Uh, rumors were that he wasn't 100%. Nick Saban said he was. Either way, you know, a four four eight at, you know, two hundred twenty five pounds, the way he runs and you know, his lower body's so strong. He's just like a God given athlete, just you know, just every anything you'd want in a running back, he has it. And you know, the Ray Rice comparison does hold a little bit of water for me, but the thing that really separates them is Ray Rice had thousand or like a thousand carries before he came to the NFL. Trent Richardson's only had one year of being the every down back, so he's going to be pretty fresh entering the league. He's somebody that you're going to be able to get, barring health. You never Even know better. But he doesn't have this big workload that's already been bestowed on him, so he's got a lot of miles left on those legs. And, you know, he's just going to be a stud. Like Byron said, he's going to be a stud from the minute he's drafted. We got, we, got two, we got two minutes left, Mike, and there's two more guys that I want to hear about. So what – what was the story today, and what's the buzz on Dre Kirkpatrick and Mark Barron? Is Mark Barron back working out yet, or is he still kind of injured, or what's his story? Yeah, Barron participated in the pro day. I think he was probably less than 100%. But, you know, he looked good. He ran the 4-5-4, four, four, which is a great, great time for being 90% or 80% of the safety. Uh, if you just watched him for the first time without pads, you would think that he might be a cornerback. Uh, His hips look real fluid. Uh, good movement skills, good hands. I, I love Mark Barron. I think he's by far the best safety in this draft. Some people question his coverage ability, but, you know, he wasn't asked to do that too much. Alabama, they had Robert Lester, who's a true free safety. I think Barron can play strong and free. He can come up in the box and stick. A great blitzer. He's, you know, by far best safety. I'd take him in the first round have no problem with it. And what about Kirkpatrick? What did did you know, Kurt Patrick, he's a big physical cornerback. I, I would not move him to safety. I like him on, you know, the boundary corner. Well, they don't have boundaries in the NFL, but he played boundary at uh, Alabama. I like him coming up, playing press man or press bail, coming off and he can play his own coverage. But I like him as a man-to-man corner, somebody that can come up in the run game and hit, just a physical presence, got really good move, uh, hips, really good coverage skills. Second best, second best corner in the draft for me. Press corner, you gotta love it. Yeah, I, the free safety talk, they gotta hold off on that. And I, I, there's such a premium on corner, and this guy was so good in college. I just can't even see how he's gonna fall to 16 or 17, where I'm starting to see him in mock drafts and stuff right now. I, I, I just don't see how he makes it past. No, he won't make past the Cowboys. No way. A lot of these Alabama guys kind of starting to fall down the board. I think that we're going to see on draft day, they're going to be taking big jumps up the board. Ladies and gentlemen, we have arrived safely at our final destination. Thank you for coming with us today on the USS Roster Watch.